Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. Good morning, Battlefield. We're so glad that you're here this morning on our Mission Sunday. If you're able, will you please stand and worship with us?
direct your attention to the big screens as we welcome world-renowned UFC announcer Bruce Buffer to introduce our special missionary guests. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Battlefield Baptist Church Mission's Conference! And now, introducing our special missionary guests, missionaries to Madagascar, Bill and Bella Long! Missionaries to Ethiopia, Jeremy and Carissa Lynn! And Missionaries to Wales, David and Mary Campbell. say you don't see that every Sunday at a church. <laughs> well, it's good to see each and every one of you. We are right in the smack dab of our missions revival, and uh, if you're visiting with us today, man, God bless you. You've walked into a storm uh, of excitement, and so uh, thank you so much for being here. By the way, if you are visiting with us for the first time or the first time in a while, I want to encourage you to grab one of those connection cards in front of you. Or you can do it digitally. You can text the word visitor to the number that you see on the screen behind me. Fill out that connection card. One of the things I ask that you do is if you do fill out one of those connection cards, take it to the information desk after the service. We have a special gift for you. But one of the things I like to ask in addition is to put on there a way that we could be praying for you and your family. Maybe you have a coworker, a family member, or somebody that is facing a surgery or going through a situation in life, we want to be able to pray with you and for your loved ones and your special uh, friends. And uh, we take that opportunity very seriously. Also, 
uh, I will tell you, we've got some folks, I'm just going to ask you, and they haven't asked, and they'll probably be mad that I say it, but I'm going to ask you to uh, be praying for Miss Hester Reed. Uh, she's recuperating at home. This is uh, Donna Sutphin's mom, and, and uh, she was in the hospital. She's at home. I'm also going to ask you to pray, and I, I don't see him. He's out in the foyer. Uh, Clarence's uh, daughter, Melissa Newcomer, she'll be having a stint put in at Fairfax Hospital tomorrow. And so I ask that you be praying for Melissa as well during this time, others that are having surgical procedures. Uh, and I also want to ask, and, and he, he will be upset probably that I said, but I'm going to ask that you pray for our very own Carl uh, Pearson. Uh, he has an appointment tomorrow, and we want the Lord uh, to show himself strong through his appointment. Uh, he has a biopsy tomorrow. And then also, I know he, this guy would never want you to pray for him, but I, I want to ask you to pray for Chuck Wisniewski. Uh, he has some appointments to, excuse me, tomorrow as well. And so let's do that. Let's rally around our friends and our church family and be praying for them. As always, as I've said all week, I want to ask you to be praying for those families that have been affected by Hurricane Ian. Amen? And uh, we're going to look and see what we, what we can do to be a blessing to those people who have been affected by the storms in the coming days. I know I've already had some men talk about they would uh, like to go and, if necessary, cut down trees or whatever we can do to be a help. Uh, so be praying for those that are literally uh, been affected. Some have lost loved ones through this storm. And um, we're just looking for a great day. And uh, thank you so much for being here. This is our Mission Sunday, our Faith Promise Commitment Sunday. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Uh, but at this time, we're going to have our Parade of Nations. God bless you. Scars that prove that he cannot be stopped. 
You got me back there? Well, what a pleasure it is to be back here at Battlefield Baptist Church. And Pastor Greg has asked me to just give a few minutes uh, on the importance of faith promise and being involved in it. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why I'm standing here today is when we got involved in faith promise, we, we started to see uh, the need. Uh, brother, where'd you go, Jeremy? He disappeared. He spoke on Rahab in the, in the morning uh, service. And Rahab is, is a story of the way God works in neat ways. She was a pebble thrown in the, in the pool of history, if I can be a little flowery. I'm an engineer. I really don't get flowery in things. 
But think of it. Where do we see Rahab again? She's in the genealogy of Christ. Her, I think it's her grandson becomes uh, David. And God sees fit to weave her into his plan of salvation. All, what you see here today is our three missionaries. I'm kind of, again, I was an engineer for 20 years. I worked around the beltway. I feel your pain, those of you that commute. Thank you for being out here. And things tend to be black and white. And here's a little black and white. We've had three missionaries. One, prayerfully, would be taken on. Two, but we've all been on the field. And what you see in the few stories we're able to tell in the time we're here is what's happening over there. But in this church, alone what this church does, take that three, multiply it by 40, and that's what's happening out in the world because of your faithfulness. Think about that for a little bit. And get to know, I know that it can be overwhelming, 140 missionaries, something like that. So I know it's over 100, 120 missionaries. Get to know the missionaries if you can, or pick one. And that's going to be tonight. Grab a candle and pray for one of us missionaries. Be involved. Know what goes on in our lives. By the way, we like to hear what's going on in your lives too. But why is it important? Let me give you a, a verse out of Acts, which I love. And it's Acts 14, 17. It's probably, phew, you guys are quick. It's already up there. You guys are awesome. Can you come over to Wales? <laughs> and it's at the end of, um, I might have misquoted that. It's at the end of the, Paul's first missionary journey. And they have taken the, uh, he's gone, he's preached. And they come back and they rehearse in, uh, in I think it's 1714. I got, the, I got a little dyslexia. No, it's not 1714. Ah, I'm just going to give it from, from memory. Paul and Silas, they go on, uh, Paul and Barnabas go on a missionary journey, and they come back, and they're sent out by the church in Antioch. And what I liked it, it says, and they came back, and they gathered the church together, and they rehearsed it, all that had happened, that God had opened up the, the gospel to the Gentiles. And while we, actually in Wales, we're reaching not a Gentile nation, thank you, you guys are awesome, 1427. And when they were come, they had gathered... <laughs> And the church together, you're wondering how I'm accomplishing anything in the field. Uh, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he'd opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. You know what, I'll, I'll just step out on that just for a second. I think the, the people in Wales like to see that we're real. I'm not any different from any of you, honestly. All, all Mary and I said, here we are, Lord, use us, send us. Three quick thoughts. We give because of necessity, a little side point. Uh, we don't get a get-out-of-jail-free card as missionaries. And Mary and I were just talking about our faith promise. We give. We give here at Battlefield, by the way. Uh, it would be too much of a, an overflow for our church in Wales if we gave and then disappeared. So we give here. We give because it's important. It's necessary. Missionaries, a lot of us cannot work on the fields that we go to. We are prohibited by law from taking a secular job, even if we wanted to. And certainly it's very time-consuming to do that. So it's necessary to get some people uh, into many of the mission fields. Till we believe in it. Uh, we, we, I see it in the Bible. And God uses his people to fund his missionary endeavors, in the New Testament especially. It's important that we believe in it. And then finally, as we give to, to faith promise, it connects. It connects us with different cultures, with different people. We've heard wonderful stories. And you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to tell one story today. And I, it's about a woman that affected me the most on the mission field. 
whom I would never have met if I had uh, not surrendered, if we had not become involved in, in uh, faith promise. And her name is Eira Craven. Eira is the Welsh word for snow. Eira was born in 1921 in Swansea, Wales. On Christmas Eve, and by all accounts it was snowing that evening, so her name became Eira. Well, Eira moved to North Wales in the 1950s and started attending a little chapel, Bethel Baptist, the one we're in. And she saw over the years the decline of that chapel. She saw people leaving. She saw the, the, the outside start to look decrepit. The inside became cold. I'll be honest, moldy, falling apart. And it came to a point where in her old age, she couldn't even attend her chapel. I love the way she talked about her chapel. And then God sent a couple of missionaries over there. And through the help of this church, the help of other churches, a faithful giving of you, she saw a transformation in her chapel. She wasn't even coming. And she started coming back to her chapel. And what was more exciting is she became my leading evangelist at 95 years old. She started inviting people to her chapel. They'd come to coffee mornings. And this is the, I want to step out on your, your message on, on Rahab, a, a pebble in the pond. As Aira got excited about what was happening in her chapel, and they had a pastor again for the first time, she got excited and started inviting her neighbor. Neighbor, and she's old. She's, she can't get into town. So she asked her neighbor, could you please take me to a coffee morning? Ripple. Her name is Lynn. Lynn is now one of our most faithful attenders. And last year I had the privilege, last year, um, every Christmas Eve, it became kind of a Christmas Eve party for Aira. She was born when? Christmas Eve. And two years before she passed, uh, the mayor of our town came to our Christmas Eve carol service. You may say, oh, that, that's neat. The mayor came. That's awesome. No, the awesome part was they, they wear the symbol of their authority, this, this necklace. And Ada Craven became the mayor of Hollywell for about one minute as he put it on her. She was beaming. Just a special thing. And I say that. Missionaries, we, our job is to see people saved. But until we turn over those works to someone else, I become a pastor and we minister. And I was so excited as we ministered to Aira that she was encouraged. And then she turned out to be an encouragement to me. She could recite Bible verses in songs they sang when she was first going to school in the 19, or 1930s or so down in Swansea. And I kind of hinted she passed away last August. And I had the awesome privilege to preach her funeral how she'd been a blessing to me and how she got excited about her chapel. Ripples. 80 people came out to hear about the faith of Aira Craven. And, you know, and this is the wonderful thing about God. We're going to get so many surprises in eternity. I'd like to say all those people came back. They haven't. But they know that there's a church that preaches the gospel. And I think when there comes a trial in their life, they know where to come. And, uh, and why did all that happen? Well, a couple got involved in some building crazy missions displays over months, and they got torn down in a day, but lives were changed. We come out, we go knocking doors, inviting people to church, but God showed us behind every door is a broken heart. And then in that, that time of year when we looked out to the uttermost, God started tapping on our hearts. I, I pray God's tapping on some hearts this morning. The job's not done. The job's not done in Ethiopia. It's not done in Madagascar. Madagascar, I don't know which it is. I'm confused. And it's not done in Wales. And you know it's not done here yet either. 
So you serve faithfully. Listen to God and what God would have you today to do today. But most of all, um, with this time of, of missions revival, look into the missionaries and pray for us. We need it. Oh, we need it. And then, God, what would you have me do? I think there's some things that need to be done here at Battlefield. I think Pastor needs a few more uh, warriors here to step up with him. He's a cheerleader, by the way. You wouldn't know that. But he is. He needs help. So pray for your pastor. But with that, I just thank you uh, for your faithfulness. I thank this church for sending us, uh, that we can be a blessing to people like Aero. I forgot to say, Aero's daughter, she actually attends another church, but she comes to our chapel about once a month just out of respect for her mom and how we treated her mom. She really appreciated that. So be in prayer for us as we minister there. We'll be in prayer for you as you minister here. Thank you. The gospel you see is fundamentally an announcement about what Jesus has done for us that is a call for a response of repentance and belief. This is a gospel about individuals created in the image of God just like you and me. There are 6,536 unreached people groups with no access to the gospel. I don't want you to hear that. It's a statistic, by the way. Those aren't numbers. Those are individuals just like you and me. We have the same needs, wants, hurts, and desires that you and I have. These people are somebody's mother, somebody's father, somebody's child, somebody's brother, somebody's sister. They're made in the image of God just like you and me. Where would you be without Jesus? The answer is you'd be in exactly the place that 2.6 billion people are without you and me. The message of the gospel is that Christ has satisfied the full wrath of God against our sin. And he has done so for the peoples of every nation on earth. But it does them no good if they never hear about it. If you have experienced the gospel, there's no way that you can look at a world that is headed to hell and not care, not move, and not offer your life and say, God, here am I, send me. I think that ought to rearrange our priorities now we think about what we do.
worship this morning.
Amen. The name of Jesus. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus. Wow. What a Savior. Amen. Man, 
Praise team, thank you so much for your work. Media team, thank you so much for your work. AVL, audiovisual lighting. Denise, thank you so much for your work. Uh, guys up in the room, never seen, but uh, as, as Brother David said, getting those verses out there. Uh, even when we make mistakes <laughs> and uh, giving you the wrong verse. It's okay. It happens. Listen, you're not alone. It happens. And uh, man, what, what a wonderful day the Lord has given us. Listen, again, if you've uh, uh, come today and you've honored us with your presence, I want you to know that first and foremost. I'm so thankful that you're here. Thank you for making it a priority. By the way, I said almost nine years ago next month, when I became pastor, I would never beg anybody to worship Jesus. I don't beg you to worship Jesus. I just believe you ought to worship Jesus. Amen. When you have been changed from the inside out, when your life has been forever changed, worshiping Jesus should just come naturally. It ought to come naturally on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and every day. Right? Amen. And uh, so I'm thankful that you gathered this morning and that you made it a priority to be here for uh, this special occasion. I'm very, very thankful for the missionary partners that have come to be with us. And uh, uh, I was the pastor uh, when Phil and Val along came through many years ago now, five, six years ago now. And uh, very, very, very thankful that on this, uh, really their first full furlough, uh, that we were able to kind of coerce them or uh, convince them to come and be with us. And so I know that uh, Brother Phil is going to bless your heart. He and I share something in common. We were forever changed uh, by the gospel, but we were also forever changed at the University of the United States Marine Corps. So y'all pray for him. <laughs> And uh, God is good. Phil, you come to us and speak to us this morning. Amen. God bless you. Welcome him as he comes. Thank you all so much for having Val and I and, and really the other missionaries as well. Uh, this is actually our first big mission conference since being back on furlough. And, uh, and so we're just excited to be able to share some things. Today, I want to tell you some stories. You know, I, the way I was trained to preach at Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri is not the way I preach today because I went to a country where uh, that type of preaching, quite frankly, was ineffective. Uh, we're a storytelling culture. And so today I want to share a story with you from the Bible that's going to lead me into some stories uh, about life change. And that life change has happened because of this church's drive, because of this church's love, because of this church's investment. So turn, if you will, in uh, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. I'm just gonna, not going to read the whole story. I'm going to tell the story, but I want to read uh, the first uh, few verses of this story. Chapter 25 of Matthew, and we'll start in verse 14. The Bible says in verse 14, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. 
Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one, he went and digged in, a, in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And that's where we're going to stop. But if you are familiar with this story, you know that the Lord or the, the master comes back and he expects an account from his servants of what they have done with his money, what they have done with his talents. And of course, uh, the, the first two servants, uh, they invested. They were driven to, to do something positive so that they could, uh, they could make more money for their master. But then the, the third one, he didn't. He wasn't driven. He didn't invest that money. He just buried it in a hole. Now, there's a a whole lot of sermons that can go around that third servant. And that's, a, that's another sermon for your pastor on another day. I just want to make one thing clear. If you know this story, this story is not saying that that servant went to hell because he didn't give any money. That's not what that is about. It's about salvation. But what we can learn and what I do want to talk about today is that the Lord expects us, He's given us all talents He's given us all abilities, and He expects us to use those abilities to further His kingdom. And so these next stories that I share with you, I want to share with you because they're not my stories. They're your stories. You know, I I appreciate being treated like some superhero when I come to these churches, but the reality is there's nothing that we do that we can do if it weren't for you doing what you do. And so when your master returns, you're going to be able to say, here's here's what I've done with your investment. Let me show you this uh, first picture first in our story. This is a picture of my team. I wanted to introduce you to my team because you're going to hear their names over and over. And by the way, let me just start out by saying none of these girls are a product of our ministry. God brought them into our lives and have brought us together to do ministry and and uh, we've been able to see God do some amazing things. But the first young lady that is uh, standing on the farthest side on my side, that's Larissa. Larissa, again, she's not a product of our ministry. She's a product of a ministry that takes young girls off the streets and teaches them a trade so they have other options besides prostitution. She accepted the Lord there, but we have been able to disciple her, and I had the awesome opportunity of baptizing her last October. She works in the background of our church. The next young lady standing next to her, that's Rebecca. Rebecca is studying to be a midwife, and Rebecca works with uh, kids' worship and all things baby-related in our church. Uh, Then the young lady standing right next to Vala, that's Sarah. Sarah is our full-time assistant. When I return, Sarah will be our children's ministry in the next next, uh, uh, church that we start. She takes care of all things in translating that has to do with kids for me. And then, uh, again, uh, many other things. But then uh, Kezia there on the very end. uh, Kezia does all the translating for young adult and adult ministries for me. And they do a great job. But again, I just wanted to introduce you to these young ladies uh, because you're going to hear their names over and over in these life change stories. First story I wanted to share with you is a story about the very first person that came to our church. 
you know, I, I partnered with a guy, if you saw my video, we partnered with a, another missionary couple, uh, Dan and Rachel Brown. And we began to come together and pray about where God would have us go. And when we, we found out where that was, we'd actually planned on starting the church in August of 2020. But as you know, COVID began to make its way around the world. And something that we had noticed was that millions and millions of dollars were coming into Madagascar uh, for, for uh, relief and for aid. But none of it was going to people. They had confined people to their house. They weren't allowed to go to work, which that is a first world solution that did not work in a third world country. And, uh, but they wouldn't allow them to work, and so people were going hungry. Well, I had uh, two churches, I had, excuse me, one church and one individual send me two large gifts in April of that year. And so I approached my partner. I said, hey, let's do a food distribution. Let's go and, and for three or four weeks, we gave away rice, beans, soap, mass, and the gospel. And people began to ask us, so where's this church at that you guys uh, have? And, and we hadn't even started the church yet. So we took that as a prompting to go ahead and, and find a place to meet. So the very next week after that last uh, food distribution, the government opened up where people could go back to normal life. And we started our church, and the very first person to come was this lady here in the black dress with the white mask. Her name is Tahiti. Tahiti is married to a man named Nanjinan, but Nanjinan would not come to our church. Tahiti began coming, and uh, it wasn't just a few weeks, and she accepted Christ as her Savior. But her husband, he was not coming. He was irritated that she was coming because even though he didn't go to church, quite frankly, he was a drunk and he beat her all the time. And a lot of times he'd beat her, take his money, take her money so uh, she could, he could go buy booze and, and, and whatever. But uh, he would tell her, like, it, it, you know, our family's affiliated with the church. And if you, if you want to go to church, you should go to where our family should go to church. But she kept coming anyway. And quite frankly, because he wouldn't show up and didn't seem to want to have much to do with us, I had very little contact with Nanjinan. Well, over the course of, of time, Tahiti became pregnant, and things went, went well until it was time to deliver. And I'll never forget the day Vala, Sarah, and I were sitting with a young lady that Sarah was discipling, and Vala got a call from Rachel, my partner's wife, and she said, Vala, Tahiti's in labor, but the baby is too big. She needs a C-section could you call your friend Tanya? Vala partners with a, a German missionary lady named Tanya, who has, quite frankly, one of the best hospitals in our country, but she has a birthing hospital there, and, and Vala partners with her in some different things. Could you call Tanya and see if, if we could bring Tahiti over for a C-section? And so Vala called Tanya, and, and normally Tanya doesn't take people unless she's seen them all the way through the pregnancy, but she said, yes, I'll, I'll go ahead and see her this time. And and so we, we called Rachel and, and let her know. Uh, and when the doctor that was attending to Tahiti heard about that, he became very irritated and angry. He said, no, I can birth this baby. We can deliver this baby right here. She doesn't need a C-section. We can take care of it. Well, Nanjinan said, well, if the Malagasy doctor says that they can do this, then, then we're going to stay. And so his method of delivering that baby was he and the midwife, they straddled Tahiti and pushed on her stomach forcing that baby out of the birth canal. And when that happened, it crushed his little head. And so for the first several hours of that baby's life, he was stiff arms, stiff legs, screaming at the top of his lungs. Val and I were getting ready to go to bed that night, and Dan called me, my partner. He said, he told me what is going on. He said, Nanjinan says, you know, maybe if uh, Tanya would have 
have him over. Maybe he would bring the baby over this time. And so Vala called Tanya. She said, go ahead and bring him in. But, you know, all she could do was keep him comfortable. I'll never forget the next day, me and the girls went over. You see, hospitals are a little bit different over in Madagascar. Actually, they're a lot different. But one of the things that makes them different is, is there's no food delivery system in the hospitals. That's up to the family. So, uh, so me and the girls went over and, and took Tahiti and Nanjinan some food uh, as they waited to see what was going to happen with the baby, and Nanjinan walks up to me again. I hadn't had much contact with the guy up until then, and he goes, hey, can you talk to these nurses and find out when we can take this baby home? I got to go to work. I looked at Kezia, and I says, Kezia always wants me to warn her when I got to tell somebody a hard truth. See, Malagasy, they're not direct like me or Americans. They they go around in this circle, and you got to figure out what they're trying to say. I, so Kezia tells me, she says, sometimes I just feel like I'm punching people in the face with my words. And so I always have to warn her when I have to tell somebody a hard truth. And I says, Kezia, I just need you to say everything I'm going to say. I said, Nanjinan, if you take this baby home now, he's going to have big pain until he dies. Outside of a miracle from God, this baby's not going home with you. Finally, Nanjinan understood the seriousness of the situation. Next day was Sunday. Val and I ran up to the hospital to take breakfast before church. And halfway there, I got the call that the baby had died in church. I'm going to tell you, probably the hardest thing I've heard in 27 years of ministry is when I walked into that hospital in Tahiti screaming, Eisenizanaku, Eisenizanaku, where's my baby? Where's my baby? Val and I, we loved on... Tahiti, I, I, I prayed with him. I told Nanjin, I said, Nanjin, I'm going to take, we've got to go to church. I'm going to take Val and the team over to church. I'm going to come back. I'll have Dan do the youth, and I'll have Sarah teach the kids for him. I'm going to come back and get you, Tahiti and the baby, and take you home so you can bury that baby. And that's what we did. I tell you that story, that's a super sad story. But I tell you that story because that was the moment that got a hold of Nanjinan. Church, I wish I could tell you he's accepted Christ because he hasn't, but I'm going to tell you this. The beatings have stopped. That guy has missed maybe one or two services since that time. He's at church almost every week. He's texting me. He's texting and, and talking to my partner, Dan, all the time, asking questions about things that he's reading the Bible. I know he's close. He's searching. He's trying to figure out what he truly believes. But I'm going to tell you this, we've seen life change. Church, that's life change because of your drive, because of your love, because of your investment. Now, before I go on to my next story, let me just add that, add some happiness onto that sad story. They were able to get pregnant again the baby was just as big as the first baby that I told you about. But this time, Tanya saw Tahiti all the way through. She had her C-section and their family. And here's the thing. This man and his mom and dad, who wanted nothing to do with Pastor Dan, Rachel, and Pastor Phil, and, uh, and Bala, they now call us Fianna Cavina, which means family. Life change because of your investment. This uh, next story, this is Fitain. 
I met Fitain at the gate of where we started meeting after we moved into the bigger location. Uh, I would go to the gate. See, Fitain, if you come and visit me, you're going to find something out about our people. There is so much un, untapped potential back in those neighborhoods. And Fitain is one of those guys. This kid is super smart. Uh, his, his Something mentally wrong with his mom. His dad is, is non-existent, but this kid is super smart. He works very hard, and the head teacher at the school where we work at, where we meet for church, she heard about Fitain, and so she took him under her wing and allowed him to go to her school for free. And so one of the things he would do as a favor back is on the weekends, he would watch the gate uh, for people when they come in and out of the, the school uh, property. So on Sunday mornings, I go to the gate and I'm welcoming people in for church and I'm practicing my Malagasy on Fitain. Fitain is desperate to learn English, so he's practicing his English on me. And every week I'm inviting him to church. I'm like, listen, man, it's going to be a Malagasy. You'll be able to understand everything. You should come. But he would never come. One day, Fitain, he, he's at the gate and he says, he says would you teach me English? He says, well, as a matter of fact, Validan and I teach English at another school just around the corner from here. You're more than welcome to come. He says, well, how much does it cost? I said, it's free. Just, just come. So the very next Saturday, he began to come to our English class, and he was, he was a, a diligent student. Well, in our second lockdown, after we had our second lockdown, we began to have some teenagers come to our church, and I just felt like this was opportunity wasted, so I wanted to start a youth group, and so we started a youth Sunday school, and so the Sunday before we went, I went to our English class, and I handed out flyers to all of our university and high school age students at the English class. Well, the very next day, Fitain comes for the very first time, and, and you know, I, I wanted to teach from creation all the way to Christ. And so I began uh, right there in Genesis 1, and it was so cute because after, uh, after uh, that first lesson on Genesis 1, Fitain, you just have to know the French school system. They stand up at attention, and Fitain, he goes, so um, does the Bible say if God created the sun, the moon, and the stars? He says, it sure does. And if you come back next week, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. Fitain has literally not missed one Sunday morning service since that time. It was so odd that one day he actually missed one of we uh, later on uh, we uh, started a, a youth group for the at nighttime as well and and he missed one of those. I was like, hey, Fitain, where were you at? We missed you yesterday. And he took off his mask. His face was swollen. He had this huge tooth infection, which by the way, got fixed because churches like this send missionaries like me money so we can help guys like that out. So, but Fitain, he, uh, he, he's accepted Christ. He's been through discipleship. Last year, uh, we went to camp. We get back from camp and we're going to have this teen testimony time where the teens get up and talk about the stuff they learned at camp. Well, I guess Fitain didn't understand what teen testimony time is. So he comes and he delivers a sermon. And at the, at the end of his sermon, he, he starts doing this, if, if you want to know Jesus, raise your hand. And that freaked him out because people were raising their hands. He's like, Pastor Danielle, I don't know what happened. You're going to have to come up here and help me. <laughs> you know what? If he's not the first, matter of fact, he'll be starting university and he's going to start taking some Bible classes as well. If he's not the first, he will be one of the first. Uh, pastors that come out of this ministry. Life change, 
because of your drive, because of your love, because of your investment. Now this next story, this is Numena. Numena is also a product of our English outreach, except for one thing, Numena never came to our English outreach. How Numena started coming to church is that day I went and handed out flyers, his uncle happened to be the head teacher, the principal at the school where we're teaching this class. He's also one of our English students. So he got this flyer. Well, the next day, his name is Monsieur Maietti. Monsieur Maietti shows up with this kid in tow. And I thought, oh, great, Monsieur Maietti's coming to church for the very first time. But no, Maietti walks up to me. He says, this is my nephew, Numena. He needs this real bad. And then he turned around and went on home. So... Numena came that Sunday. The next week, he brought his little brother. And then two weeks later, he brought his little sister. And they, again, have not missed even one time since then. Uh, I led Numena to Christ last October. He's, I've taken him through uh, discipleship. And, you know, as you guys have heard me talk, when we go back, uh, we're going to be starting our second work. Well, in order to do that, I needed to train Malagasy to take our place in the ministry where we're at. And Numena was one of the guys that, uh, that uh, volunteered. He wanted to work in kids' ministry. And so, uh, so he went through all the training, and then he went through the internship process. And the, the week before we came back for furlough, he came up to me and says, he says, Pastor Philippe, could you pray for me? I said, sure, buddy, what's going on? He says, my uncle... Monsieur Maietti, he's heard about the training that we went through, and he's asked if I would come over into his neighborhood and begin telling the stories that you taught us to teach. Church, he's not only working in his local church, but he's actively involved in taking the gospel to another area. Life change because of your drive, because of your love, because of your investment. This, uh, this is his whole family. Uh, because of the kids, their family, the mom and dad began to come to church. Mom got saved uh, sometime, I think it was in April, and then uh, my partner baptized her in May. Uh, or June, sorry, June. Life change because of your investment. This next story, this is my Christina. I don't know if I mentioned this, but my four girls uh, actually live with us. And if I had my way, she would live with us. Uh, when Christina first came to us, uh, I noticed something that she was very malnourished. Her hair was orange, very skinny. Um, I didn't understand the family situation because she had these two older sisters who were not malnourished and not skinny, actually fairly well taken care of uh, for the area that they come from. Um, over the course of time, what I learned is that Christina's mom kept her that way on purpose because she would send her out to beg and you're more likely to get money if you look hungry. Well, I didn't like that, so I put a stop to it. I found a couple Zookies, grandma ladies, and I provided some rice and some other things to begin feeding Christina, and that in itself put community pressure on mom to begin taking better care of Christina. Now, our sisters, I didn't think they liked me too much. I would go back in the neighborhoods and visit. They'd come to listen to Pastor Danielle preach, but um, I, you know, they would never come to youth. You know, they're, they're you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, and, and, uh, and, but they would never come. I'd, you know, I'd be back in the neighborhood, and I'd, 
I'd try to get them to come to youth and stuff. And, and my girls, they kept telling me, say, Phil, they're, they're not good girls. They're not good girls. Remember I told you at Malagasy, they're trying to tell you something without being direct. What they're trying to tell me is these girls are prostitutes. Well, I, I told my girls, not good girls are welcome to come hear the word of God. Not, prostitutes are welcome to come hear the word of God. But I, I didn't think they I didn't think they liked me too much. I mean I, I I tried, but you know, one day I was back in the neighborhood and I come across my little Christina and she she didn't have a smile on her face. She's actually almost she's crying. I said, Baby girl, what's the matter? She said she says, I'm hungry. So I grabbed her by her little hand and me, Val, and Sarah, and we went out to the road and they had these little shops, shack shops all over the place, and so I got her some yogurts and some stuff to drink and I don't want to send her back in the neighborhood because I was afraid somebody would take it from her. So I put her in the back of my truck and had her start eating it there. And, and, and when she was sitting there eating, one of the Zookies and the two sisters come out. And so Val is talking with, uh, Val and Sarah's talking with, with Christina, taking care of Christina. And I start talking with, uh, with the Zuki and, and the two sisters. And, and then this guy comes. I don't know about you know, the other missionaries in some of their countries. But when I go back in the neighborhood, every once in a while, you get these guys, they come up, and they, they want to make sure the missionary knows who's in charge of the area. So they come and get all up into your face and try to intimidate you and stuff. And normally, Dan and I, we just blow it off. But this day, the guy, he comes, and he, he walks past me, and he walks over to Vala, Sarah, and Christina, and he makes a, a rude sexual gesture. Show me he's in charge. So I showed him different. I didn't hurt him, but I did remove him from the vicinity of my girls. And when I did that, as he's cussing me going down the road, you know what those two little prostitute girls said? They, they said, you better watch out. That's our pastor. Church in Kansas City where I was at, I've had pro ball players call me pastor. I've had important businessmen and women call me pastor. First responders call me pastor. I've never been more honored than when them two little prostitute girls told that dog I was their pastor. We're seeing them come to church. We are seeing life change because of your drive, because of your love, because of your investment. This is Vanya. Vanya is Vala's girl. Now, uh, I love Vanya, but the reason I say she's Vala's girl is because she loves Vala more than she loves me. Uh, Vanya started coming about the same time Christina came. Vanya's mom is also a a prostitute. Um, I don't know that she knows who any of her children's dads are. Um. During the second lockdown, Vanya comes from the poorest home. All of our people are in poverty. Vanya comes from the poorest home in our area. During the second lockdown, a guy coaxed Vanya into his house with some bread and he hurt her. I'm hesitant to say this up in northern Virginia, so close to D.C., but here's the reality. We see this stuff about defund the police on the news over Madagascar. We live defunded police. We had to pay the police to come get the guy, and they didn't come get him. So my partner had to drive over and pick the police up. 
and bring them over to the neighborhood where they arrested the guy, and then he had to transport them and the guy back to jail where they booked him and then released him with a court date, a court date that gets pushed back every time he does not show up. Vanya is here pretending like she's asleep. Her mom's there to pick her up, but she's not asleep. She doesn't want to go home. The reason she doesn't want to go home, church, is because when she's at church, she knows that she's loved, cared for, and safe. One day, Vanya's mom had one of them guys over and told Vanya that she couldn't go to church. So Vanya waited till mom and the guy went inside, and Vanya picked her little brother and her little sister up, who were barely able to walk, and she carried them and came to church anyway. This little girl has a chance at a different kind of life because this church cared enough to send missionaries over to a field so that we could keep her safe, give her a place to come where she's cared for, and teach her the Word of God. Life change because of your drive, because of your love, because of your investment. This is our church just a little over a year after we started meeting last Christmas. We uh, had an all-time high. It's not our average. It's just an all-time high of 350 people. We are seeing God do some awesome work. Before I sit down, I want to show you a forecast of where your drive, love, and investment is going. This is where we're going to start when we go back. Um, I run every day. And it's just kind of a strange thing to see a big fat white guy running down the road in Madagascar. <laughs> the first time I ran over there, I had these kids and, and you know, they're making fun of me because I'm fat and they're like, you know. So I did what any mature 40-something year old pastor would do. I smacked my belly several times and made a woot woot sound and one of the kids, it scared him so bad he ran home to his mom, but the other two kids <laughs> fell over laughing. And since then, when I run, I will have anywhere from five to sometimes 25, 30 kids chasing after me. What a wasted opportunity if we don't begin sharing the Word of God with these people. So I've asked you already to begin praying about a place for us to meet, but I want to ask you to pray about two other things. First of all, I want you to pray about your investment. Um, maybe you are new to this church and new to missions, and I want to pray. I want you to pray about beginning to invest in missions because the reality is these are just the stories, your stories that I'm bringing to you. You've heard some of the stories that Jeremy's bringing to you and, and the Campbells have brought to you. The reality is there's hundreds, thousands of stories that when the master returns, you're going to be able to say, this is what I did with your talents. But the other thing I want you to pray about is maybe God has been talking to you about leaving all this behind because there's people like what we've seen on this screen waiting to hear the gospel. 
when God began to deal with me about going to the mission field, He challenged me to go someplace where there was not a lot of missionaries. I cannot go anywhere on that island where there's not a huge need. And the reality is there are so few missionaries. And if you've been in my classes this last week, you know that I'm not saying there's so few Baptist missionaries. There's so few missionaries, period. So I want you to pray about Obviously, where we meet when we go back. I want you to pray about your future investment. I'd also like to ask you to pray about coming. Whether it be to Madagascar, Ethiopia, or Wales, we need help. Pastor, if you would. Wow. What a tremendous reminder of what driven by love can do, even just uh, through those few short stories. Uh, What a wonderful Savior we serve. Here's what I want to do. I know that Brother Phil just stepped down, but um, as as the praise team comes, and man, you guys can start playing or something softly. Maybe we'll switch it up a little bit. I'm going to ask our missionaries that have come. And I'm going to ask you guys to stand right here. Here's the deal, guys. I said it during our 9 o'clock hour. Some churches budget for missions. We actually use this thing called faith promise. It's a way of budgeting. We just choose to exercise some faith in it. I'm not asking anybody to be foolish. I'm asking you to be faithful. And to exercise some faith. I shared one of my missions moments. Many of you know I just. My legs are hurting right now. And I'm going through this physical therapy. You know for the torn tendon and muscles in my right calf. And the other day they did this new procedure on me. Called dry needling. I about came off the table. That lady said. Listen, I don't respond to, ouch, I don't respond to, I don't respond to anything other than you crying out for me to stop. And I was trying to hold on while she was jabbing needles all over my calf to try and get the tendons to respond, to get the muscles to respond, to start rehabbing, to get them back to where I want to be so that I can move. If you know me, I don't sit still well. Then I went from there, I went to the podiatrist. Many of you know I'm wearing this hard shoe and I'm expecting the doctor to say, "Uh, Pastor Greg, we're going to have to operate. And he had already told me all the details about that operation. I was like, no, I don't want that. No, thank you. And he said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you some more shots. I don't know if you've ever had shots on the top of your foot into your toes. Not, not the most exciting thing I can think of. And he said, I want you to stay in that hard shoe. Make sure your socks color coordinate with what you're wearing because people will see them. And as I sent out my missions moment, I said this. When I began physical therapy, they were just little simple exercises. Lift the leg down, 
lift the leg down, lift the leg. He said, that's not, you're not building any strength, so let's put some weights on there. Lift the leg down. Put some more weight on there. Lift the leg down. Lift the leg. Get on this ball. Get on this thing and hold steady and do all these different exercises. What I realized very quickly is that the exercises became harder. The weight became more than I could even bear. That's like faith sometimes. Faith is taking the first step before God reveals the second. You see, because when I take a step with my left foot, I have to be in motion to take that second. And sometimes, just like men and women throughout Scripture, God has said, listen, I need you, like Abram, I need you to get up and go into a land that I'm going to show you. And I need you to forsake your family and go. And Abram's like, where am I going? Don't worry about it, just go. And I'll show you. Joshua, I need you to walk around this wall. Just keep on walking. What do I do then? Just keep on walking. And then then we'll blow some trumpets and the wall will come down. God, that's not really a good strategic battle plan. Hey, Gideon, I need you to build up an army. I need you to get the men down by the side of the water. And I want you to see the ones who lap the water like a dog. And I want you to see the ones that lap the water in another way. And he said, this is going to be your army. And I know you need thousands, but I'm going to give you 300. as we heard the story in Bible study of Rahab can I just tell you I'm going to be real honest and transparent faith does not make sense but my Bible says that without faith it is impossible it is impossible it is impossible to please him it's impossible to please God because he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him Say, man, you're getting revved up. That's what I do. When we start talking about Jesus, I get revved up. When we start talking about exercising faith, I get revved up. So I'm asking you to exercise some faith. Say, Pastor, you don't understand the economy. I do. I'm breathing, aren't I? Pastor, you don't understand. This year's been horrific. Yeah. I can understand that too. Pastor, you don't understand what's going on in my family's life. I understand completely that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so we do this thing called faith promise. David and Mary, will you help me out as I explain? Give each of the missionaries, and Mary here, let me give you these. These are for young people. These are designed for young people. These are young people approved. You say, what's a young people approved thing? Young person, can you give five cents to support the Campbells, the Longs? Can you, can you do some chores around the house? Maybe kick it up to 10 cents? I don't know where you're at. Teenager. Anyway, these are kid approved. <laughs> you get the point. So here's what we do. We make a commitment today. I'm not asking anybody to write a check. I'm asking you to prayerfully consider what you're going to do beginning next week throughout the next year. And what we do is we give by faith every week. And so on this card, it says promised each week, and it has a bunch of amounts from $1 on up that 
you can check. Or it has a box that says other. I mean, if you want to be, you know, I, I've seen some that say $37.50 or $22.14. I don't know how, I mean, listen, I'm going to ask you to trust God for the dollar amount. But anyway, okay. I joked with one pastor one time. He said, he said Pastor, we're going to give you this. And he gave the last ending was 69 cents or whatever. And I pulled out the extra change. And I gave it to him, and I said, here, can we just round it up to the dollar? And he started laughing. But whatever the Lord lays on your heart, it may be something like that. And then down at the bottom, it says, it's got a box that says, increased my faith promise, or maybe the first time participating. Here's another thing I'm going to ask you to do. Maybe you're not a regular giver. Maybe you've never exercised generosity in this way. Maybe, maybe you would write on a card, I want to exercise generosity as well this year. And then what you do is we're going to have a word of prayer. And you rip that thing off. And on this big card that says driven by love, there's a spot for you to write what your faith promise commitment is and you keep that. By the way, you don't sign this. I don't know who you are. No one's ever going to come to you. No one's ever going to stiff arm you or wrangle your neck. It's between you and God. And then after we pray, I'll have our missionaries collect these. And then we'll turn these over to our trustees, and they'll count them. And then this evening at our candlelight service as we close, we'll find out what the church has decided to do in the coming year for missions worldwide. By the way, right now I believe we're at 136 missionaries. The law of attrition goes up and down. And so um, that's where we are. Lord willing, tonight we'll be at 137. But let's have a word of prayer. And then I'm going to ask these missionaries to take the cards out as we take up our faith promise commitment. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for the testimony that we have heard this morning of life change in Madagascar. God, thank you for Phil and Val along. God, I thank you for Jeremy and Carissa Lynn. God, we thank you for David and Mary Campbell. God, as they have given their lives to go and to tell other people about your love, to share the gospel, to share hope with the hopeless, the helpless, Lord, to, to share the truth that Jesus saves, to share the truth that your word will endure forever. Lord, we love you. We thank you for that. Lord, now I ask that you burden our hearts, that we would step out by faith, that we would exercise faith as a church family. God, I pray that you'll be honored and that you'll be glorified by what we do in this moment. And God, that it will reverberate throughout the coming days, throughout the coming year, as we're able to do more, as we're able to send more missionaries, as we're able to support projects all around the world. Lord, I pray that you will have your hand a blessing in them, that people's lives will be changed for all eternity because we decided to exercise faith on this day. Father, we love you and we praise you as we begin to exercise that faith right now. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen. All right, missionaries, you start scattering. Listen, lift up your hands. They're going to give you a card. You lift up your hand, they're going to give you a card. If you're a young person, say, I want a kid card. 
If you're a senior saint, get an adult card, all right? <laughs> Whatever your age is. You got to lift up your hands so they see you. Listen, they're not just coming down like ushers. You say, I'm going to exercise some faith this year. Just lift up your hands. Praise team. Let's sing this song. Amen. Say 
Isn't this exciting? Come on, somebody be excited. Here's the deal. You guys are literally writing the missions budget right now. A lot of people say, well, how do you do that? It's called by faith. You guys are deciding right now what our next years from next Sunday to the following year, what our missions budget will be. That's exciting. By the way, if you're watching, you're worshiping online, and you say, man, I want to be part of faith. Promise. Man, I want to encourage you, just go on to the go on to a website or just shoot an email to the info at info, I-N-F-O, at battlefieldbaptist.org and just put an amount, weekly amount, monthly amount, or if you're going to give an annual gift, whatever it is, right? Put it on there. And then here's the really cool thing. Little is much when God is in it. And God does some miraculous things. And when we get all these things counted together, tonight we'll know. Tonight it will be revealed what our faith promise, what our missions budget will be for the next year. It's exciting. Can I tell you, it's also scary. That's what faith is sometimes. And so here, let me grab the big cards. Now what I want to do is I'm going to give you these. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you guys to go out now raise up. If you filled in your card, if you've already filled in your card, raise them up. And then they're going to come and they're going to grab. Now tear off the edge. You keep the big part. We get the small part back. Right? Hold up your hand. Everybody's going to go. And collect the cards. Raise them up. There we go. There's the budget. You say, man, y'all are crazy. Yes, we are. We're crazy about Jesus. I'm just glad.
go out, go on a limb. It looks like more cards than we had last year. We're going to have a word of prayer. Jason, would you come and just pray over this faith, promise, commitment? And then after he prays, we'll turn these cards over uh, to that accounting firm for them to uh, check it and uh, verify, you know, their award-winning uh, accounting firm. But if you'll pray over this faith, promise, commitment, and then what I'd like to do is I want us to stand up and sing one last song, right? And then I want you to go fill your bellies. Get some nourishment. And then here's what I'm begging you to do. Do not pass go today without coming back at 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock, if you've never been part of the candlelight service, or some of you say, I've been a part of it, I've done that, I've been there. It's different. Because we're going to ask you, we're going to ask you to make a commitment like we just did. We're going to ask you to pray for one of our missionary families for the next year. That way, every day, we as a church family are praying for every missionary that we partner with all around the world. And that's when we begin to see life change. When the Word of God, the Spirit of God, people of God are praying and our missionaries are doing their part, it all comes together for this beautiful picture for the sake of the world. But Jason, if you'll pray over our faith promise commitment and then we'll sing the last song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you, Lord. We thank you for this past year, what you've done uh, <clears throat> through our, our missionaries and our mission team, Lord. I, I thank you for this day that, that, uh, that we can set aside to, to take up our, our faith promise uh, commitment for this following year, Lord. And uh, Lord, just uh, I pray that, uh, that we'll be driven by love to fulfill that commitment, Lord. Uh, I pray that we'll be driven by love to, to go out into our Jerusalem and, and, and witness, Lord, not just depend on... Uh, our missionary partners to, to witness in far off lands, Lord. Uh, Lord, just uh, thank you uh, for everything that we've heard uh, this week and especially this morning, Lord. And uh, Lord, just uh, thank you for allowing us to have a small part uh, in your mission, Lord. And uh, Lord, I just pray that, uh, that we'll be faithful as we know that you'll be faithful. And uh, Lord, just uh, <clears throat> thank you for the opportunity, Lord. We just love you and just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Messiah still and 
Yes.